thanks for joining me on the fourth series of my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. As usual, we'll be covering all things that shape employee experience that ultimately impact on engagement, performance and loyalty. Whether that's about leadership style, psychological safety, mental well-being, companies' impact on society, neurodiversity and so much more, there is something for everyone. I'm your host, Lisa. As a psychologist and psychotherapist in my business, It's Time for Change, I get to make a real difference in the world of people. Working with companies who want to be great with inspiring leadership, an awesome culture and a wow workforce, that's my thing. And that's what this podcast is all about. You know those challenges and questions that can occupy your headspace, perhaps working out how to support people or how to develop a better way of working or how to increase capacity while keeping people on your side. Well, I'm your soundboard, problem and picker, and guide to doing things that ultimately increase employee happiness. My mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. So let's dive in. So today I'm having a rant, but a productive one. Um, And to help me do that is Gemma Ellison, who's Senior Leadership and Talent Manager at Macmillan Cancer Support. And what I want to make clear is that we're not going to be just moaning and um, increasing the sense of this black cloud that's uh, sort of looming over us at the moment. Um, But we're going to be highlighting some of the key issues that we're observing in companies and how to rethink them. We might make this a regular feature um, to sum up what's happening and to shed some light on alternatives or um, to common practice or ineffective practice that we're um, seeing. And it made me think, Gemma, when um, we were talking about having this conversation about someone called Ruby Wax. So for those of you who are old enough to remember Ruby, and I'm going to share, hold up my book and show Gemma now because she's never seen it. Um, Ruby Wax published a book in 2018 called Ruby Wax with a neuroscientist and a monk on how to be human. And I was thinking that we maybe should have a start our own little conversation, which is a psychologist with a leadership and talent specialist on how to be human in a workplace. <laughs> so before we get into all that, Gemma, I'm really delighted that you're joining me today. Um, tell us a little bit more about you, your role and your experience that makes you so well qualified to be joining us in this conversation yeah thanks Lisa <clears throat> I'm excited to be here so um yeah so by background uh, I am a lawyer and so I was a child protection lawyer um for what feels like forever um I would have been nine years qualified now um I was at a law firm in Liverpool and always took a very keen interest in my clients the psychology behind them, what motivated them, what made them behave in certain ways. And what someone described me once as having a, a sensitivity for the human condition. Um, and I quite like that as a, as a description. Um, and, and I guess it's true. I'm very, um, I love people, very interested in talent, obsessed with leadership. And so I uh, created a different role for myself in the business I was at. I became a director of culture and learning. Um, and I did that for, for four years lots of things around learning development, inclusive recruitment, um, leadership, kindness. Uh, and now I'm very lucky to be on week three at Macmillan Cancer Support, which um, is an absolute honour um, for me to work this organisation. Um, and I am looking after lots of exciting things on leadership and talent. Um, so that's what I'm I'm up to. 
And I, you know, the, I love that line, the sensitivity for the human condition and your passion around psychology and people and your just genuine love for people and getting it right for people, which is why it fits so well with my mantra about getting people right and get business right. Um, and I know you and I have talked, we've had so many conversations about what we think is wrong with the state of the world in, in terms of the workplace and how people need to rethink some of the stuff that just seems really obvious, yet we're still seeing it happening in practice. Um, so actually just kind of disrupting the status quo a little bit um, by just having a good old conversation. So I think we should dive straight in um, and let's start by thinking about leadership, which is often still not recognized um, as a separate and very valuable set of skills. Tell us more about your thoughts and experience around that, Gemma. Well, I think leadership, I, I talk a lot about a delib the deliberate leader. So, so people who actually want and have a desire to lead people, I think that's really important because where I've seen before leaders who were underperforming, um, one of the first things I've asked is, do they actually want to lead people? And, and sometimes the answer is no, they don't. And a big thing for me as well, I've heard this before, leadership's not a Tuesday afternoon job when everything else is finished. Leadership is is a role, an important one. And having the, the skill to lead, motivate a group of humans um, and with the human thing really emphasised actually because we're all, we're all human, aren't we? And should be treated the same. So yeah, I think it should be recognised as a set of skills and what... I guess has has irritated me in the past talking about a ranty type topic uh, is when you'll take someone who's a, let's talk about law because that's sort of my background. Take a really great lawyer who is brilliant with clients, is a high biller, brilliant at networking, and because they've been there the longest time or because of the highest biller, you you put them into a leadership role, which is a completely different thing. Sometimes they struggle in that space because just because you're a good biller or good at your role, it could be good at sales, whatever it is, doesn't mean that you are brilliant at leading people. And I, and I really do think, I wish that businesses would recognise more the skill that comes with, with actually leading people. And I don't think, I don't see it often enough. Yeah, and I think it reminds me of a conversation I had a while ago about um, transfer of skills. So, you know, when people are looking to apply for a new role, is people look for the skills. So it doesn't matter if you've never been a, you know, particular person before and do a particular job. If you've got the skills that could transfer, then that's great. But I think you're right in terms of um, when people end up in a leadership role, often it's just an assumption that they have the skills. Um, it's an assumption that they want to do it. It's an assumption that they are confident enough um, because it does take quite a lot of courage to be able to have difficult conversations with people or to to be able to um say right this is how I think we should be doing things around here or how do you think we should be doing things around here and I've seen so much practice where people will end up applying for and getting a, a very senior role and then saying right this is how I'm gonna, I'm gonna go about it based on their own experience which is not necessarily very good and there seems to be a real gap doesn't there in terms of that asking the questions you've just suggested um you know do you actually want to do it do you feel confident enough to do it but then actually what what training are we giving what support are we giving on an ongoing basis yeah absolutely we used to there used to be a session i ran called buddy to boss because 
that again that step up is it's a completely different world from being sort of if you like in the trenches to mm. actually having to coordinate and inspire a group of people is a completely different thing and you know I've just started a new role and one of the first first things I went about is talking to my team about my leadership story I was I'm very happy with being vulnerable with them talking about my background what I expect from them what they can expect from me and really set about building trust now um I've I did, to be honest, I, I did that because my manager, my new manager did the same thing with me. So it was a really lovely onboarding process. He was absolutely fantastic. And he did the same thing with me and built so much trust so quickly. So I learned from him as a leader then and did the same thing with the team. And it's worked really nicely. Um, again, who tells us these things? Who, you know, we just sort of get put into roles and, and, and generally just, okay, you know, you need to get on with it. When actually... Again, if we can develop people's skills in leadership, it will go such a long way and provide that wraparound support for when someone's starting off. That's something mm. that we're looking at here. But what, what can we do to support new managers and new leaders? And what can we give them? And how can we encourage success? Because there's lots of data that says that leaders sometimes fail, quite a quite high um, percentage of them fail in their first role. We don't want that, do we? So what can we do more to recognise the skills they bring as leaders and also then give them that support from a, you know, business perspective, from a psychological perspective, mentoring, all that type of stuff. Yeah, and that's so important. That should just be part of your development. That should just be practice that is a given rather than being potluck on whether you happen to land yourself with a with a boss who themselves does the right thing because it's been modeled to them it's a real hodgepodge system at the moment and I love the idea of just ongoing support I think when you know there's a sense of having quite practical training workshops you know opportunities to give information about actually what is needed there's the opportunity to ask lots of questions about actually for those people in those leadership roles how do they what do they want to experience what do they want their role to feel like what do they want to spend their time doing what do they not want to spend their time doing and what do they think people need of them? And then asking their teams those questions. You know, what is it that you want or need from your, your boss? And actually to then work out where there's the, an overlap. And often there is that, that kind of huge connect in terms of this is what I want from my leader. And the leader says, yeah, this is actually really what I want from my team. But it doesn't play out in practice because we default back to our normal way of doing things. If we've come from a role where we end up just wading through email or focusing on operational stuff we are not carving out the the time to do the human aspect and that's the bit that needs that ongoing support like you say about peers peer support groups coaching those kinds of things yeah one of the things that I've I started doing this in my in my last role is saying to people how do you want me to lead you because that's not a and people were sometimes quite shocked when I asked that question they'd never been heard asked that question before but my job as a leader, in my opinion, is to create an environment where people can succeed and flourish and thrive. That's that's what my role is to do. Mm. Um, and when I ask people, how do you want to be led? There's a bit of confusion sometimes because I've got a team of five at the moment. Each of them will need and want completely different things. Mm. And I was reading something yesterday which said, you know, treat somebody as, as you want to be treated. Well, I, I don't agree with that. I think you should treat someone how they would like to be treated and you should move to how what motivates your individuals and your team. And that's going to be what creates the environment. 
such a good message, Gemma, treating how they want to be treated. And that comes back to that whole notion of personalization I talk about a lot. And people really push back on that. They're like, oh, it's just too much time. You know, if we've got a team this size or a company this size, we just need to have this kind of approach that fits everyone. It's like, well, that's your first failure because if you're trying to have one approach that fits a whole set of unique individuals, it's never going to work, you know. And, and I think we have to we have to get beyond the kind of trying to do things in an easy way, the kind of quick fix way. And say, actually, we need to at the time, like you say, to have those individual conversations to find out what people really need and how they want to engage. And actually, if you if your team's too big to be able to spend time having individual conversations then your team's too big and you can't you can't lead them well yeah absolutely and I think you can have that you can lead them differently but have them moving towards the same goal oh, absolutely. and just to go slightly off topic I'm a big sports fan so I'm, I'm a big Liverpool football club fan uh, unfortunately at the moment <laughs> um, and one of the things I love uh, and it makes me think of culture and leadership and everything else when I go to the game which I do quite often You've got 54,000 different people in that stadium. They've all had different days. They've all had, you know, someone might just be married or bereaved or had a bad day at work or had a promotion. And when You Never Walk Alone comes on, they all sing the same song. Mm. And that's the key. They've all had completely different experiences, 54,000 different experiences, but they're driving towards the same thing and they're singing the same song. And I think I try to use that as a leader where my team will want different things from me at, at different times. That's fine. That's on me as a leader to bring the best out of them. That's my job. It's not something that's on the side of my desk when I've got some time. That's my role. And I can get them all driving towards the same goal and it them about the same purpose in completely different ways. And again, I think that's a skill in itself that, that people don't necessarily think about um, when it comes to leadership. I, it, it reminds me of um, a podcast I was listening to on the weekend, um, a show by Liz Earle about the menopause and she was talking she mentioned something around um aliens if aliens landed on earth what would they be saying right now and it maybe as I was listening to it, I was thinking actually if aliens landed on earth they'd be they'd be talking to each other going oh hang on we're just looking at this human species and there are these leaders in companies who um don't seem to be finding out what all the people they're leading know already like they're leading these teams of people and these people know what it is they they need in order to work well and feel good and get on with each other and to be energized and creative and so on but they're not asking why would they not ask and it's that sense of we all know we're all we, we're all living and breathing this and seeing these messages all over LinkedIn on a daily basis ask the questions talk about it but people still aren't doing it I think it takes uh, and it's always interesting trying to work out why. Maybe it's just it's because it takes too much courage, too much time. You know, it's that fear of what if I ask a question and I don't know how to answer it? Or what if they want this of me and I don't feel I can deliver? And that's a sense of needing to have, I guess, someone in the background who, if you're feeling out of your depth, you can just say, I don't know, I'm going to come back to you on that and go and check it out in a safe way for those leaders. They don't feel they have to know everything, which can be a huge pressure on their shoulders. Yeah, I think to be totally fair to, to some leaders as well, though, is they have, they, you know, when we're talking about leaders not being a sort of Tuesday afternoon job, I think sometimes the way it's sold to them when they come into role is as an add-on. So, yeah. so look, it, it's all, I, I, I think a lot about how we measure leaders and what we say as companies. We might say, 
we have a leadership culture, we have a culture of kindness, we would really like you to get the most out of your team. And what I've seen in some organisations and, and I've heard from in others is that actually when it comes to it, you're not you're not measured on those things. I mean, there's another question as to whether it, how measurable it is. But actually, if I'm if I've start, so I've started my role, for example, and I've been told that one of my objectives is to is to really embed myself within the team and lead the team well. When I have conversations with my manager, he's asking me about that. And that so that is a consistent message I'm receiving. Now, sometimes you will say to people, right, okay, I want you to be a great leader. But when it comes to one-to-ones or conversations, you're not asking them about anything about leadership or any of the measurements that you say are important. And again, that's a really conflicting message. And I think, again, senior leadership or business owners have to get that right. Do what you say you're going to do. If you stand for something, then stand for it and say, this is what we do here. Um, But quite often, unfortunately, that's not happening. The measurement isn't there. And unfortunately, sometimes, well, a lot of time, what gets measured gets done. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's always such an interesting one, isn't it? That whole, the metrics um, in terms of, um, you know, when people talk about values, there's loads of work in recent years have gone to companies around what your values are. But then they end up having this set of values that in theory everyone's agreed on. It's like, yeah, this is what, um, you know, this is what we're all about. But they then don't go the extra step in terms of what do they look like in practice. And then the next step beyond that is actually how do we recognize and reward those? And that's the bit that's missing. So as you say, because we're not focusing on that, keeping that higher than on the agenda, that's, it becomes an exercise that's now parked because let's really get on with our day job. And, and I think when you know, the leaders I've spoken to recently about whatever aspect of their culture they're trying to develop, it's like in your weekly team meeting, what, what space do you have in that on that agenda to discuss just the how we operate as a team? And they're like, oh, we don't do any of that. You know, we just go through business. Well, half the business that's on a lot of teams' agendas could be done by other means. When you've got your the value of that time, those resources of people being in a room together or on giving you know online together actually talk to each other as as humans and engage and look at what's getting in the way of them working well as a team and you know all that stuff which is the bit that people as you say they just aren't thinking about or aren't prioritizing yeah absolutely and and one I, I i um deliver a program called heart leadership program um and on that it's a, it's a bit of a mix between sport politics psychology all, all different things basically about people leadership um, and the second module is on planning and, and having a clear plan and communicating that clear plan. Mm. And on in that plan, quite often we make business plans. We talk about profits. We talk about sales. We talk about these things. What? Where is in your plan for team building, relationship building, and all of those different things? And and you know, kindness, empathy. How are we keeping that in the conversation? How does that form part of your plan? I mean, mm. I've got another another so bookish about plans that get made and then just left in the drawer um but actually and this came from a um a podcast that i heard about jürgen klopp the liverpool manager um and it said that when he came along at the football club he said that it should his clear plan was 30 percent tactics and 70 percent team building if you if you have got a, a a mission that you're driving towards or a goal and you've got a group of people who you want to deliver it, shouldn't the focus be on how can you make them a really strong group of people? How can you build trust? How can you build psychological safety? 
Mm. How can you create space for them to disagree and innovate? Mm. That, you know, that should be a very much a part of a clear plan that you have. And to your point, it should be visited meetings. It should be spoken about often and not just businesses pay a lot of money to people like you into the business to say, help us, help us source out our values, help us to think about our culture. Um, and then you'll do the work and then it gets left because something else comes up that's mm. more important. And I think, you know, if we actually focus on these things long term, self-awareness, kindness, empathy, psychological safety, mm. the results will massively play out, I believe. And I think, you know, I've been involved in a couple of projects uh, that often start with a new, relatively new team or a new manager into a team. And their go-to is, right, let's get everyone, let's have psychometric tests for everyone and we're all going to share our labels and and so on. And it's like, well, if you want to do that, that's that's fine. But how about a different approach, which is like, let's just talk about what we love about being here, what our strengths are, um, kind of what the opportunities are, what we think is getting in the way. And actually, when I've done that, when I facilitated conversations around that and you get the right people in the room as well so often when we do that we'll have that team having the conversation with their manager and then you get someone else who's more senior who who links that team to other parts of the organization the value when you've got someone just sitting in there's more most senior person just sitting and going wow I didn't know your team did this stuff or I didn't know they knew this stuff or I didn't know that that is proving to be a barrier I can resolve that quite quickly or I can connect you with this person and suddenly you have that massive shift in terms of that team becoming stronger as one unit because they've had a chance to explore what's actually going on under the surface for each of them individually and put it out on the table and say, as a team, this is what we're trying to achieve. This is what we need to get there. And this is what's stopping us at the moment. And it's that sense of, you know, these, this, these are the barriers, but this is what we need in order for us to do, for, for us to achieve. So being kind and um, being having time to listen to each other and checking out and actually knowing what our early warning signs are if we're seeing one of us is stressed um, you know if someone's being a bit irritable do we just leave it and go oh they're just having a bad day or do we ask them about that so that all those um those qualities and it reminds me of some quote if you've heard of Magnus Wood who talks a lot about um kindness and he talks about the power of the work kind revolution and I'm going to put some references to him in the, the show notes um, his research, which is a huge study, found that 84% of people said they'd like to work in a kind organisation, yet only 66% describe their organisation as kind. And a lot of people working in these organisations where cultural expectations and fear of reprisals, if they um, don't conform to just the kind of maintaining the status quo, it means that everyone just keeps quiet and puts up with stuff that doesn't feel right. And he's talking, you know, he's produced a guide, which is actually how to become a work kind activist. Um, and it's really practical stuff about actually how we identify what's what doesn't feel OK and then how we communicate that. Because if we can hold ourselves to account and hold each other to account and have the confidence to speak up and say, actually, you know, when you said that, I kind of felt like this or when you expect me to do this on a Sunday night and I don't work Sunday nights, actually that's putting me under pressure and just being able to normalize those conversations. Yeah, definitely. I think a, a dangerous culture is a quiet culture. I mm. think when people don't have the confidence to speak up uh, in terms of themselves or when they're calling out something else from a colleague or with a new idea or when something is going 
fundamentally wrong. I think that's quite dangerous. Uh, you know, I think you know, creating a culture where people feel able and safe to speak and and be candid. One of the big things for me is kind candor. You know, making sure we don't. You know, what was talking now about kindness doesn't mean that we can't hold people to account or we can't have difficult conversations. But it's just in my opinion, um, there's there's never an excuse not to be kind about it. And so, you know, when people hear us talk about this, they might be listening and thinking, oh, you know, everyone must get away with all sorts in your organisations. Well, no, actually. And, and kind candor is a really important thing. And just it's about how you deliver those messages, isn't it? Um, Completely. And it reminds me of the, everything that happened with Jacinda Arden, yes. that kind of kindness and how you deliver messages and being compassionate and so on. So let's let's talk about her in terms of, well, not just specifically her, but just that knowing different style of leadership and actually knowing when it works and when's the right time to work, walk away and um, if it's okay to walk away. Yeah, there was, well, it, I, I watched with interest all of the, I've, I've been a fan of Jacinda Arden for a long time in terms of her coming out and talking about a different type of leadership because what we've seen before is that people think, you know, leadership is something where, you know, well, sort of, banging people with a stick sort of thing and I'm the boss around here stamping my feet and things like that and she came and just and especially the world of politics brought something completely fresh and I was always a fan of the thing of of the way she 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 came across and articulated herself and and her leadership style was something I really was inspired by um and then I was also really inspired by how she left um and I was really shocked actually to see the some of the reaction that she got and um, when she's basically saying, look, you know, I've got nothing left in the tank now and I need to walk away. There's there's definitely something how we allow people to leave. I think that's something that you know, all, all businesses can think about. Um, mm. But knowing when, you know, being strong enough to know when the time is right to walk away from something, I think is a massive strength. I think knowing yourself, you know, leaning into your own humanity and knowing what's good for you so much strength in that and again I don't think we rate it enough um, I couldn't I couldn't agree more it's, it's the whole sense of self-awareness yeah and she was very self-aware and chose to to leave based on on what she knew and what she was sort of tapping into and what she was prioritizing and you compare that to the number of people in leadership positions um who are almost clinging onto that power and who are just not, they just don't seem aware at all that you just think, how how can you possibly be trying to continue in your role when everyone thinks this of you? Whether they just don't care, which makes them a dangerous leader, or whether they do care, but they hope, they're clinging on, hoping that something's going to change or hoping everyone's going to change their mind or is that sense of hope. Whatever the reason is that they're hanging on, it's not very productive for them or the people that that they're supposedly leading. Absolutely. And I guess you from, from your practice, you must see a lot of that and a lot of the reasons why people behave in the way that they do from a psychological perspective. But absolutely, I think, you know, I was reading a book the other day um, called 12 and a Half by um, Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, and it was really interesting, actually, in terms of how and how he admits he comes across when he speaks on social media. And actually, this book is fantastic and talked about um he said that if he could um, wish anything on the population apart from good health, it would be self-awareness mm. and know, having the ability to know yourself, know where you're good, know where you you know where you could use development, and knowing your yourself and your own story, and not necessarily. I think if the danger is if we're not self-aware, 
we put so much of our own baggage and past and, and on onto our onto the people who we lead, which isn't necessarily mm. fair. I think for her, for Jacinda Ardern, knowing you know what was right for her and her family in that moment, I think that's something that should be really, really celebrated, as opposed to some of the criticism that she got. And that's her living her values, yeah. and that's the bit that you know. I was having a conversation with um somebody who's quite senior in his company early this week about he's he's in a bit of a struggle with uh what he can bring to the organization and what he feels is important there's a disconnect between that and what his management are seeing as important and we were unpicking that a little bit and we realized that actually because his his values just don't align anymore and it's and the important thing there is it's not about the company as a whole it's about his particular leaders in this particular team yeah and um and when we were unpicking that, actually, the effort that was going into him trying to fit someone else's agenda and trying to keep going because this is what's expected of him, it was wearing him down and it was making him question question his values and making him sort of, well, he was just, he said he actually just felt quite depressed and that sense of just exhaustion, uh, trying to deliver something that no longer fit, fit, right? And he didn't really know why until we unpicked it. And he's like, actually those things are just not important to me they don't feel right to me that's not what is top of my agenda my agenda for my priorities right now and so anyone who has that awareness saying actually this no longer fits for whatever reason it doesn't matter what the reason is but as soon as you realize that actually you can't offer anymore or actually the role just isn't what you love anymore for, for whatever reason just that ability to say you know what I've had my time and I've done amazing things. And let's focus on what I have achieved rather than the fact that I'm now choosing to exit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, look, it goes to, to, to the name of your company. It's time for change sometimes. It just is, isn't it? And sometimes and that ends up being right for the company and for the person. Um, and I think, you know, there's so much about that and how, you know, we, if we let people leave. Well, I saw a post on social media a couple of days ago um, on LinkedIn, and I can't remember. Um, who the person was who posted it but it was basically he said this person in our business is leaving today and this the sort of the speech he gave about him was absolutely fantastic and I have no doubt that that person will go on to work with him again in the future or he will go on to partner with him in something and, and I think just acknowledging it's but look let's, let's be real it's not it's not easy when people but it's, you know if you rate somebody and then they leave your team it's not an easy situation I've had somebody um who was in my team before and, and she left. She's a really good friend now. I was absolutely heartbroken um, when she left, but it was right for her. It was mm -hmm. absolutely right for her. And she, to, to be to be fair, she showed that strength that, that Jacinda Arden has shown really and said, this is not for me anymore. I can't do it anymore. And I had so much respect in that moment because I thought, well, why would they want you? Again, from my perspective, it was a struggle because I thought, wow, I need so much to be done here. And, and she was integral in, in, in all of that. Mm -hmm. But actually... I care about her as a human more than I cared about her as, as someone who works for the company that I was working at. And I think, again, I tried, I've not always been perfect, to treat her with, with what, the way she deserved when she, when she left. Um, I think that's just a really important thing to see. Again, let's bring it back again. We're all human. We all have different desires, needs, motivations, and, and that can change to, you know, from time to time. And it's about respecting that and knowing what's good for you in that moment. If that's not what matches up what's good for the company, then that's okay too. And we should 
celebrate people for what they've achieved rather than the fact that they're going. And imagine if every time, you know, when when someone makes a kind of a, a courageous announcement, such as they're leaving or um, they've screwed up or they don't know or whatever, you know, that, that takes quite a lot of guts to say something. Imagine if in response we started with that sense of thanking them for showing the courage and having the strength to um communicate that and to make the right choices for themselves and for the organization and you know did all the it's a bit like you know you're supposed to um be able to kind of praise people before you then say well actually you could do this this and this differently so there's that notion it's the same it's the same kind of um concept of just thanking someone recognizing the strength in what they're communicating their choices before we then go on to right how are we going to deal with this and I think we tend to as soon as we hear something a lot of people you know Jacinda got a lot of um criticism and a lot of people are very quick to criticize and because they jump to their own assumptions about what that's about but also there's that sense of problem solving and like oh wow we have we now can have a, a gap in our team or what are we going to do about X, Y, and Z? And there's that sense of panic. And it's very easy then, as soon as we start to panic, our emotional arousal goes up and then we're suddenly on the attack. And it's much easier to focus on those problems than to engage the bit of our brain, which is about empathy and hang on, let's just create a space here to connect with this person and just join them where they're at and, and acknowledge that before we then try to move on and look at the what next. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, there's... Again, I think with particularly, you know, some of the things that were said about Jacinda about, you know, you've got a job to do, do it. You've signed up for the next X amount of years. You need to fulfill that. It doesn't matter what it does to you. Um, and again, I just think about this. If we look at ourselves as leaders, look at our people as human and realise that they all make decisions based on what they want in, that, in those moments, I think mm. it's really important. And also, I think that whole, you know, you talked about plans. I'm Plans are great, but actually you have to expect a plan to change. And if and if people have a plan that they think is set in stone for any period of time, then there's a problem with the plan because we should be we should be expecting it to change because by nature of us being human, we change, the, yeah. the context changes, and therefore we've got to expect things to to shift. A plan is just sort of for me, it's more of an outline of this is kind of where we're heading, this is how we think we're gonna get there right now. But next week, actually we might realise we're slightly off course or you know that we've we've there are some boulders we've come against on our path or actually there's some extra resources we can bring along with us so that should always be expected to change and that that makes yeah that's just part of good company culture isn't it yeah definitely which is why I think the focus of a plan should be less on actually you know where we do we need to head towards so for example we need to hit a million pounds profit for example and should be more focused on your time and energy on how can we motivate energize gel a group of people who can go, go and deliver and during that time when you're building those relationships expect them to have to pivot expect things to change mm. talk about that so for me when we talk about plans i think it's about the big part of it is what are you doing with this group of people how can you inspire them and motivate them and and lead them um so again the whole 30 percent tactics 70 percent team building mm. i'm a big fan of when it comes to plans and, and and your emphasis on lead, how do we lead them, yeah. not how we manage them. It's like yeah. I always have a bugbear with, you know, change leadership versus change management. It's all about what are we doing. It's, it's leading people, and people are going to follow you if you're inspirational. So you need to get that bit right. So um, let's think about culture. Let's kind of shift it slightly away from individuals to actually looking at 
culture in the company a bit more widely in terms of well, I guess how we think about that, whether we think about that as a whole organisation, whether we think about that, sort of break that down into teams, I guess partly that depends on how big the company is. Yeah, so my thought, I'm interested in your thoughts on this is actually, so my mine is that when we te- go about tackling a problem, how can we change an organisational culture? What, what does that mean? You know, what is an organisational culture? Because for me, I think that organisations are built... From lots of different cultures, unless you've got sort of, and even if you've got a two-person organisation, so you might see it differently. I think if we've got ten teams, for example, there will have there'll be a different culture in each of those teams. And mm-hmm. although we might have a general, this is how we do things around here, or how we expect things to be done around here as a company, mm-hmm. I think look, the local cultures are what are important. And I think you know people leave. Quite often you could be in, so I've seen it happen before, where people have been in a fantastic organisation but not been happy in their team. In fact, I've heard it before where someone has said the company culture was like Disneyland, but their team didn't have a ticket and they were watching from the outside through the railings, through the fence. Mm. And and it was, again, that spoke to my sort of thoughts and actually, okay, it might be that everybody else does things in a certain way, but if your leader or your team doesn't function that way, then that's, that's your culture that you're experiencing. And, you know, look, there's so much data on that. People don't leave a company, they leave a manager, they leave a team. Um, and I think it doesn't necessarily matter what everybody else is doing over here. What is your day-to-day experience in that organisation? Which, again, is why I am obsessed with leadership and that the influence of a line manager, the power of mm. team leaders. We can't underestimate that at all. Um, mm. But, yeah, my view is, is that we, you know, Again, I was head of culture um, in my in my previous role. And again, I used to sometimes think, should I be head of cultures? Because mm-hmm. even in the organization that, that I was in, there were so many different cultures and different teams. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you could, and this is true for everyone, really. You could start a company, have a, a company-wide induction, and then have a completely different experience with the manager than the person who starts on the same day as you with a different manager. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, this is why... It's really important. And when we see companies engaging in leadership programs, sometimes it's only the sort of exec leadership that get involved. What about the line managers on the, on the, on the day-to-day? They're affecting your culture. It's, it's those people. So I, I think I've got an attention, sorry, Lisa, on that. But you haven't. You, what's your view in terms of all of that? You haven't at all. Um, I completely agree that cultures are, they vary massively from one team to another. And any exec leaders who think actually this is just how we this is how our culture is in this company and basing on whatever their culture is like in that particular level of the organization are quite blinker they're missing the point that every individual because because of the nature of the fact we are individuals we are unique we will all have our own way of communicating of arranging our day what how we prioritize um and just how we go about stuff and that's down to individuals so you know what you were describing earlier in terms of the conversation you've had with your new team mirrored the experience you have with your your new manager and so we have to get the culture right in terms of on the most senior level for them to be in agreement so that they are then role modeling down um to the, the layer below them who role model down and, and so on but that isn't enough because you within any organization i've worked with a company very large organization where they are there are senior 
leadership team and the senior leadership team is so big that is split into three teams and the cultural difference between those three teams is massive it's really really significant to the point where I was getting involved because of the, the such a difference between the teams yet they all have they're all sitting under one director who has one leadership team so I agree with you that we need to invest more time and more resources into rather than just as the most senior leadership actually what how are these people at each level actually operating how how are they creating you know you talked a lot about psychological safety how are they creating that space how do they have those conversations and what is it that they're good at and what is it that they're not so good at perhaps because they don't know how because they don't feel confident enough um they don't have time for it whatever it might be but getting that bit right and we have to check in at every level of management across the whole board and not expect it to be the same because it can never be the same but as long as it's good enough and as long as it's sticking by the guiding principles which are around empathy and kindness and psychological safety and so on expecting everyone to do it in their own way but making sure that everyone is giving time and knows how to deliver on those key principles that's absolutely right and again just you way again about asking them when yeah. you're having conversations with team leaders what do you talk about do you talk about how you get on with your team what's the culture like in the team how mm. people feel them do the you create space for them again it's the conversation because then they know actually this is what's expected of me rather than that's for the leadership over there who go on all the programs this is not for me and to just one of the things that's quite um topical at the moment um it really impacts me is neurodiversity just to go there for a second um i am i've got adhd so so um recently diagnosed neurodivergent um and like, so one of the big things for me at the moment is how do we go about um, unleashing the potential of neurodivergence at work um, and how, how can we do that? And so what happens with some companies, and again, I've seen this happen a lot and through people I've spoken to about this, where you'll have the HR team will do some neurodiversity training or the senior leadership team. Those people are not dealing with people on the ground who, who, who are neurodivergent. They're not having any influence on their day-to-day experience. Which again brings me to the point of the fact that leadership at any level should be focused on. And it's quite often the people who are the middle managers, again, I don't really like that kind of language, but you know, for argument's sake, let's go yeah. with it. Um, people who are having a day-to-day influence on their, that, that person's experience should be focused on as much as the exec team, as much, you know, and we should be creating situations and again, don't like the language programs, but you know, for mm-hmm. once a better word. Mm-hmm. For everybody, for every you know, for people who are leading at every single level, I think that's really, really important because I think there's a forgotten um, level of, of of leadership there, um, and I think it should be you know these are the principles that we'd like to run our company by. You know, we have a learning culture that's really important. Okay, how's that affecting every single pocket of the organisation? Mm. And when and when <laughs> companies have the courage to say, actually, we recognise we haven't got our culture spot on which actually most companies would be able to put their hands up and say there's always room for improvement um and they're they're okay about the lens being shone on different aspects of their company the answer is already there you don't have to have all these complicated programs going in this this conversation i had um with this director earlier this week was you know he he wants out of his team because there's a massive disconnect between um 
what he can offer and, and what they're looking for because they're looking for some quick wins which don't actually resolve the real problems and we were talking about whether he would leave his company he said no 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 because actually in the past I've had some good experience in the past I had a manager who was awesome this is why she was awesome so he can describe what he's looking for in a manager this is the opportunities um I had in terms of shaping and using my you know shape my role using my insights using my using what I'm bringing to this company which is why I've been employed so I can make a real difference this is the difference it makes when I have a manager like that yeah. and so he's looking for opportunities to move to another team and he's hoping he's he's busy at the moment researching what that culture is like in a different team he's hoping that that'll be a better fit so it, it really comes down to those individuals and, it, and if a company you know there's, there's uh, an app called Your Flock an organization who are great in terms of you know getting the data to find out who is struggling but why they're struggling and where they're not getting the right support from their managers and that's not about criticizing that's not about kind of blaming people saying you're not good enough it's about actually we seem to have a pocket of people over here who are looking to leave or who are feeling unsupported or who are don't have clarity around what they're what's expected of them it looks as if their manager could do with a bit of support. And as soon as you can identify where the need is, you can go and, and plug that gap. Um, and if the person doesn't want any support, then they are definitely not the right person to be in that role. But we need to know, and we need to, well, we need to hold our hands up and say, actually, we need to know who in our organisation are the, the people who are just struggling with their role and we can then go and support them. But it's having yeah. that confidence to say that, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of your flock uh, and the work of Dan and the, and the team are doing there. We've had some great conversations and I've, I've heard them on your podcast too. Um, and, and when we think about, you know, the stuff that your flock does, it's about, for me, are we playing to people's strengths? How can we amplify their strengths? Because we spend so much time, I think, trying to bring people up in spaces where if they were brought up in that area, do you know what, it might have a small impact on performance, but actually if we shine a light on the things they're brilliant at and find a place for them to be brilliant in that in in, in what they're good at, what are best what how how good would that be for the organization? So and again it goes back to having leaders equipped to have those conversations, having people confident enough to know what their strengths are and the self-awareness, but then also thinking about our leaders and back it's back to our original point. Is there strength to do that? So are we just being unfair when actually they're saying, do you know what? My strength isn't motivating or inspiring or finding out what my team needs. Yeah. I'm just, I'm really great at IT and I want to do that actually over here. Mm. You know, I think that would improve retention in businesses so much by focusing on the skills people have, shining a light on them and letting them do more of what they're brilliant at. And that is a big rethink about how we look at progression uh, in terms of, you know, when we do a role and we do it really well, the the notion of a career ladder at the moment seems to be you keep working way up an organization to get more and more senior which then which obviously means taking on more and more management or leadership skills um or roles and that just doesn't fit for me it's like if you're really good at something then find ways of developing that thing that you're good at and that you actually love doing and that might mean you've got people zigzagging all over the place across an organization rather than everyone trying to go up but that takes a big rethink of how traditional models of career progression, which is about taking responsibilities, which actually is just a bit like saying, you know, you're great at hairdressing, come and be a plumber next week. It's like, what? what what's, where's the, 
you know the logic in that they're, they're different roles well that's a big that's a really huge part of project i'm taking on this year at, at macmillan and we are involved in a project called squiggly careers um which means that you squiggle squiggle and stay it's called where you'll you know it may be that you've got a set of skills you've had a great time in the team you're at and you want to squiggle and go somewhere else rather than moving up rather than you know because again i think you're right and that another sort of soapbox thing for me is is progression. What what does that even mean? And it means different things to different people. Someone for someone progression might just be developing myself as a human. Someone else might be developing other people. Someone might be developing as a future leader or a leader and having that deliberate thought on that. It could be developing the business. There's lots of different ways that we can you know make sure we're we're doing what people have got at and giving them an opportunity to think. Okay, what else is there for me? We're also launching something in terms of, you know, progression and moving around called Opportunity Marketplace, um, which is something that's been done by Spotify. They have something called Spotify Echo, where we want to have a place where our people can come and see what's available to them, whether that's job swap, mentoring, coaching. Um, it could be volunteering. It could be uh, secondment, whatever that looks like, um, a bit of a marketplace for them to go to to choose the things they want. Um, and again, all of that is thinking about who are our people as humans? What do they want? What motivates them? How can we make sure they have a brilliant experience at Macmillan? Um, and, and, you know, if they want to stay and squiggle somewhere else and move across, brilliant, we're retaining those skills. And to your point at the beginning of the podcast about, you know, the focus on skills rather than sort of, you know, titles or things like that, that's a real, you know, a really big thing to focus on. What skills do you bring? And if you're not really happy where you are now, how can you bring that skill to somewhere else? Mm. Um, yeah, so we're doing lots of exciting stuff in that space. So I'm looking forward to seeing what we Gosh, what we do this year. I am not surprised you are you got that role, Gemma, because you are that's right up your street in terms <laughs> of just getting to grips with those and actually just getting to grips with those challenges, but in an organization that clearly is up for doing stuff differently. Yeah. And that goes back to that question that you know, I always ask people to ask themselves or of their teams, why do we do stuff like this? You know, if we just thought about on a day to day, why, why is it we have a call at, you know, 10 o'clock every Tuesday morning and actually work out where that came from? Does that still work for everybody? Why is it we organize our week like this? Why is it we communicate like that? Well, does that still serve our purpose? And when you get to a point of saying, actually, maybe we do need to squiggle more than climb ladders, or maybe we do need to just look at what opportunities there are for people to have an experience of someone, you know, another area of the business. I mean, what great ways to build connections and strengthen your organisation as a, as a wider team rather than everyone work, working their own little silos. So it sounds like there can be some great outcomes for that. Yeah, really. And, and you know, I'm really, really lucky to have the most brilliant team um, who I'm working with at the moment who are so passionate about talent about you know early careers about leadership um so I think you know and it, but again it all starts with those conversations as we've said throughout the whole podcast and it starts with for me I think setting the tone with them as to you know you point there about question well why do we do things at 10 o'clock mm -hmm. so when I spoke to the team initially I talking about what I expect of them is to challenge me challenge the status quo why are we doing it like that why can't we think about it differently and, and also to uh, a big thing, I've asked them to disagree. And that's been an interesting point that people have um, sometimes a bit confused about thinking, why would you want conflict in your team? 
Um, but I think if you just have a sort of this, you know, sort of fake harmony, nothing ever gets done or improved. So one of the first things I said to my team is, I expect you all to have a view on each other's work, on my work, and to disagree with each other. Respectfully, again, can candor is really important to me, but be honest, be kind, but let's create a situation where we're not all just sitting there nodding our heads. What, you know, I've got, I'm really lucky. My team is so different in terms of backgrounds, experience, and I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky to have this team. And if I could have recruited them, I would have done it in exactly the same way as, as it's been done, to be fair, because I'm a big believer in the power of difference, the mm. power of different thoughts. You know, if we have everybody who has the same experience from their same, you know, school, background, race, religion, all those different things, I think, you know, if everyone is the same and coming at a problem from the same angle, we're never going to create, get creative solutions. So for me, the power of difference, the power of difference of thought um, is really, really important to me as a leader. And again, it, it, for organisations, I think building teams who are different and giving them the space and the safety to challenge each other respectfully, to rip something up and break it and do it again. I think, again, I I, I tried to, and again, I'm, I'm three weeks in so far, but set that tone. And I think, you know, the leaders who were sort of listening to this, if you, you know, think about the power of difference, think about giving the team space to have healthy conflict and it will only improve, it will only improve um, the performance of the team. And that definitely is a a skill then that needs that the the leader of that team needs to be confident in because even just that word conflict, so many people shy away from that. Um, you know, I remember when in, in a workshop once with a, a team of people asked them what they what what emotions the word conflict evoked in them. They're like, oh, you know, something it makes me feel I get anxious anxious straight away and it's kind of negative and so on. And it's like, well, actually, what about positive conflicts? What about, you know, as you say, being able to say, Okay, here's a potential solution for how to, you know, look at something. Let's actually unpick it. I want people to disagree with me. I want people to pull it apart. And actually, just normalizing that challenge in a healthy way. That comes again with you, your kind in terms of how you challenge and how you pull things apart. And the tone has to be set that that is um, acceptable. And actually, that's what we're we're after. But that getting beneath, as you say, just the nodding is is hugely important. And, and there's such power comes from that when people are able to say, well, actually, you know, I really love that as a whole, but actually have you thought about doing this a little, this bit differently here? And it might be that it doesn't work, but it might be that there's, that's the, you know, that's the real nugget of insight. That's just going to make something work brilliantly. That comes from the leadership though, of that, of that team, have the confidence to say, and actually role modeling it on a very frequent basis rather than I did it once and my team aren't coming and doing it again with me. You know, it's that whole, like, I've got my, left my door open, but no one comes through it. Well, it's only because yeah. you offered, offered to come in once and then you haven't done it since. So it's that whole, how do we keep encouraging people to live and breathe what we think is important? Um, and that's got to come from just regular, very, very regular reminders um, and just seeing the leader, their, their manager, walking their talk on literally on a daily basis. Yeah, and then and then and praising it and asking for feedback on it. So you know, if, if my manager sees it wants me to, to lead a team in a, a certain way or to achieve something, and I do it. Mm. Tell me, <clears throat> I'm more likely to do it if I think you know. Mm. Again, we all we all look for approval, don't we? As, as humans, we want we want to do things well. I don't you know I don't really see anybody walking around thinking I want to make an absolute mess of this. Yeah. Um, so so if we fundamentally believe that people are good and that people want to do well. 
then when they're doing the things you want them to do, praise it, call it out. And then it, again, they're more likely to carry on doing more of it. But also, if they're not, and if we say, for example, there's a leadership culture here that is, is kind, for example, and then we have lots of feedback to say that a leader is fundamentally unkind, then we've got to do something about that as well. You can't turn a blind eye to it. Um, and it's about that accountability. And it's about, again, doing what you say you're going to do and, and measuring what matters. Um, and the measuring, I think, um, it makes me think about, you know, when people talk a lot about employee satisfaction questionnaires and we do, you know, people talk, I hear HR, HR people talk a lot about when we do all these surveys. And I always question, actually, what are they really asking on the surveys? And are they really unpicking why they feel how they feel so in terms of you know how does I would love to know for example your team um, and I obviously know nothing about the person who went before you but I would love to know knowing what I know about you Gemma I'd love to know what your team would say about their experience of working at Macmillan working as part of your team and what has enabled their experience to be so it's rather than just this is what it's like to work at Macmillan actually, this is what makes, this is how I feel about working here. This is how satisfied I am. Um, but this is what's made the difference. This is why I feel like this, because that's the bit that we need to get at, because that will highlight really in quite concrete ways what it is that people have experienced that has either worked for them or against them in terms of their experience in a day-to-day in their company. Yeah, definitely. And on, on the sort of survey point in the, you know, utopia, that I, I think about, we wouldn't have anything like that and there wouldn't be a need for it because we'd have people able, because I, I used to look after listening um, my previous company and every time we did the survey, what would happen is people would be so hurt about the fact that is it anonymous or is it not? Mm. And I used to, I, it makes me, th- it made me feel sad because to be totally fair, that wasn't a company where if you had a, a criticism, you'd be, you know, mm. sacked for it. It never happened. In fact, you know, people, <laughs> quite you know willing to listen mm. but people were so obsessed about the fact that is it anonymous or is it not that they wouldn't either fill it in or it wouldn't be a, a true sort of representation mm. of what how they how they felt and I think I wish there was a world where people were just able and comfortable just to give feedback as it was and not be scared to say I feel this way again I think for me I would hope if we did a survey on my team for example I would hope there'd be no surprises because I would hope that I'm having those conversations regularly enough and asking those deliberate questions what motivates you what makes you tick how can I Mm. you know what can I do for you how can I remove barriers how can I you know make your experience at work different and and better um I think if we if we get used to asking those questions and helping our leaders to ask those questions because also it's not comfortable sometimes because there is that, well, what if I don't know how to respond when they answer? But then I also think there's a big strength. Um, there's a book that I love um, by Adam Grant, um, and it's called I Think Again. And it's about the power of knowing what you don't know and, and being able to say, I don't know, or being able to change your mind to think again. That's a massive, mm. a massive strength. Um, so if we can get people in that space, having those quality conversations and not being scared not to know the answer, again, I think that would lead... But to better retention, better engagement, mm. um, and better performance. And and it's for those leaders to have enough respect for their team and enough trust in their team that they want to invest the time asking them those questions. And I think that's a, a biggie because we you know we talk about people respecting leaders and so on, but actually it's the leaders have got to trust the people in their team enough that they 
are going to talk openly and give useful information and that is worth my time having this one-to-one with this person really exploring their take on the world and, and what can be different but that becomes a degree of well a lot of respect in terms of actually I want to make it work for this person because I value them yeah absolutely and and there's nothing more you know hearing someone and helping them to feel seen and heard is mm. the best way of having them feel valued yeah. and just giving that time it, it's it's quite unusual as a thought that as to why people and I know people don't do it sometimes uh, again I've worked in enough places to know it doesn't always happen mm. um but I feel genuinely confused about that about well, why wouldn't you invest that time with your people what can you learn from them mm. I'm in, in the last you know three weeks I've learned so much from my team and they've already in this very short space of time helped me to become a better leader helped me to sort of you know be proud to be here and all of my favorite conversations have been with my team genuinely mm. and you know I think it, that's a really lucky thing I'm, I'm very lucky to, to be in that situation um but they're the people who again if we think about the impact of your team on the leader they've given me so much energy they've inspired me they've you know helped me to be inspired by the things that they're doing too and it, you know it's a it's a nice place to be and I know that not everybody is as lucky as that but I, I genuinely enjoy spending that time having the conversations um, but you're also shaping the context for you to enjoy what you do you're shaping your role which is around being a leader that is not only making a great experience for your team but it's mean that you're going to work feeling energized and um excited about what you're doing feeling motivated and who's not going to want that <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, but I think a big part of it as well is is this whole deliberate leader business that we've talked about mm. and, and people wanting to lead you know I'm my role here is to lead people and that's and, and you know again that's a really great position to be in it's not I'm not being asked to do it on the side of a desk while I'm doing 10 other things my role is to create an environment for this team to thrive and that's that's how fun is that you know that's, that's what, a, what a great what a lucky thing yeah, exactly like that. so Gemma what um must do's should leaders listen to this go in and action ask your team how would they like to be led and listen you know there's no point in asking that question and it being empty um so yeah have that conversation how would you like me to lead you um and go from there and not necessarily treat everybody exactly the same in that way because people will want different things I think role model and create an environment where conflict and again I, I, I hear what you say in terms of the word conflict because I, I I'm a bit of a um I don't have a very nice reaction to conflict as a word at times either but actually create an environment where disagreements can happen regularly um when you're recruiting think about the power of difference different experiences but also make sure that you create an environment where difference that people with different backgrounds can thrive um and I think if, if people are business owners or, you know, focus on leadership at all levels, but really focus on leadership, I genuinely believe that the success of an organisation depends on its ability to create, nurture and grow great leaders. And I think, you know, the world needs it. I think everybody needs it. So, you know, when you're focusing on leadership programmes and throwing some money at them, actually think about what else you're doing with it. What yeah. support are you providing and how seriously are you taking it? And have you got an idea around what great looks like? And are you measuring it and are you rewarding it? But I think just the last point is spend time with your team. You know, 
you'll learn as much if not more from them as they ever will from you and and also just see the fact that leadership is a privilege it's a, it's a privilege that you're able to have an influence on someone's working day what and take that privilege seriously and and, and use it in a positive way Gemma you have been amazing today I've loved talking with you and the energy honestly you know when you and I keep having these conversations and we're like well we really just need to get this onto a podcast and talk about it and share and um I I always finish a conversation with you just feeling that real sense of a real buzz about we can make things different um and you know you you have the love the opportunity to make things different directly with your team of people um and also just by sharing messages like this I'm hoping to carry on making a difference by working with organizations who say actually yeah I think we want to rethink um and um come and come and help give us some advice so um I want to finish by asking you a blind question normally my guests will ask a blind question for another guest but I never get to ask one so I'm going to ask you one today Gemma it's a nice one don't look like that (laughs) (laughs) um so what is the most important skill you've mastered that has allowed you to succeed professionally I think building relationships uh and I think seeing people as human and I think treating people as human is really important. And that goes from the the, the parents that I used to represent when I was a care lawyer um, to, you know, kids who I've coached football to, who are nine, to senior executives. I think treating everybody as a human is something that I, I really try to do. And I think that's something I've worked really hard at because I genuinely think um, we're only ever, any of us are only ever 10 minutes away from a bad situation. Um, and we can all, you know, so I think treating everybody with compassion and respect is really, really important. And that's one of my real values and something I really try to do. And I think um, my ability to connect with people as humans has has, has put me a good step to where I am now. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so very much, Gemma. Um, I have loved talking with you. I love your your what you bring to the conversation just your um wisdom is um yeah this it's really inspiring so I'm really grateful for your time today and I want to hear more about how it goes at McMillan after you've been there for a few more months we'll check in again yeah definitely thanks so much Lisa thank you thank you for joining me on the beyond the water cooler podcast I hope it's got you thinking about how you can make a real difference to company culture that enables people to really engage and thrive. And now it's your turn to help me, please. Rating my podcast and leaving a review means that my guests' messages spread further. And when I know what you've enjoyed, found helpful, what you'd like to hear discussed more of in the future and ideas for great guests, I can make sure I deliver. Let's continue the conversation about the points raised in this podcast, or perhaps you have other questions about employee experience and performance. You can email me at It's Time for Change, connect with me on LinkedIn, or why not pick up the phone? I love to walk and talk. My details are all in the show notes. So until next time, bye for now.